path comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked about them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up as he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the story, for your word. Teach us the power of your spirit working in us. Amen. Excuse me. You know, whenever this topic of faith and belief comes comes up in my mind and in text, I always think of this particular scene from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I mean, for one, it's a classic Indiana Jones movie. I think it's my personal favorite. Um, but, you know, in, in that movie, they're, they're on this quest to find, you know, the cup that Jesus used in the Last Supper. And if you drink water from the cup, it's supposed to grant you, you know, life everlasting. And, and so he's got this riddle, he's fighting Nazis, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And then he, you know, he's on his way to, to find that cup, and between him and the cup, there's this great chasm, and I don't remember exactly what the, the riddle says, but there's something about, like, he's got to take a step of faith to, 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 to make it to the cup. And there's this kind of tense moment uh, of the scene, and finally he looks at the scene, he says, I think I need to know what I need, what I need to do. So, again, there's this giant chasm. And he takes a step and he steps forward. And what happens? Well, he stumbles onto a bridge. This bridge that he couldn't see before until he actually took a step 
of faith. It was only visible for those who had faith that it was there and actually acted on it. And, you know, one thing this idea points out that I think is true, as the Bible teaches about faith and belief, is that whatever you have faith in, whatever you believe, will actually lead you to actions. It will guide what you do. Right, if, for Indiana, if, if he believed that the riddle about this leap of faith was true, then it would, it would take you to step out over this chasm and, and, and actually take a, a real step. And if you don't, then you, then you don't end up acting. And so there's this question that rings out in our text, which is, what do you believe is true? What do you believe is true and why do you believe it? I mean, this is the, the big question of life, right? This is the thing that guides society's up and, and down, and you know, I think sometimes we think that our beliefs are these private matters, but, but belief drives everything that you do. All your actions in this world can be traced to what you truly, deeply believe in your hearts. Whatever your deepest truth and belief is will lead you to action. We all believe something. We all have faith in something. The question is, what is that object of your faith? And the follow-up question to that is, is the object of your faith faithful? Is what you put your trust in worthy of your trust? Is it real? And, you know, one of the things Jesus is showing us this morning as he's coming back to his disciples down from the, the mountain is that he indeed is the faithful one. That there is no one that's faithful like he is. No one that's worthy of faith like him. And there's, there's this beautiful truth that no matter how shaky our faith is in him, which it is shaky, if Jesus is the object of even our shaky faith, our faith is solid because the object of our faith is solid, because Jesus is solid. And as we consider this topic of faith this morning, we're going to approach it in this text by asking four simple questions. And as we ask these four questions about faith in our, in our text, I think we're going to see some helpful observations and encouragements on this topic that will, I pray will help encourage us all in our own faith. So the first question this morning is this. What does it mean to put our faith in Christ? What does it mean to put our faith in Christ? If we look back at the beginning of this text, our story begins with this kind of commotion of a, of a scene, right? Jesus walks, is coming back down. You know, he was with three disciples up. It means the nine disciples left, right? Twelve minus three equals nine. I'm really good at math. And, uh, and so he's coming back. And there's nine disciples that were arguing with these scribes. And uh, these scribes, which are teachers of the law. And then it says, Jesus comes and it says immediately, all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, right, were greatly amazed and they ran to greet him. So clearly this crowd knows who Jesus is. They've heard about him. He comes down the mountain and they all kind of gather around him. And there's this big commotion. You have this fight. You have this crowd. You have Jesus coming in saying, what's going on? And what's interesting about this is Jesus, when he asks this question here, he doesn't ask the crowd. He's asking the disciples, what are you arguing about with them? And, you know, this is something we're actually going to find in the second half of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus actually primarily addresses the disciples. He's less concerned directly addressing the crowds. And one of the reasons is because he's preparing the disciples for that which is coming. He's on his way to Jerusalem, which is the place of his dying. And so you're going to see a lot of echoes of this throughout the next couple months as we are in the second half of Mark now. But Jesus is focused on the disciples. But it seems that before the disciples could even respond to him, someone from the crowd answered. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him 
mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and it foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. It seems that before Jesus, his disciples could speak, this man speaks and he's come to find Jesus. That's why he's come to this space. He came to Jesus because he ultimately believed that Jesus could heal his son. His son, who we find out later, has been sick since birth, demonically oppressed since birth. And he's come to find Jesus because he believed that Jesus was the only one that could likely heal his son. So he comes to him. Right? Your belief and your faith leads you to action. This is belief. This is what faith is. And you know, in, even in our text, those two words, belief and faith, are kind of used interchangeably. And they mean this, the same thing here. And, um, and so the question is, what does it mean to put our faith in God? It simply means that Jesus is the object of your faith, that he is the one we put our faith in to heal us. He is the one we, we move towards, that we go to in our times of need. It's trusting that he is the actual faithful one. Right? We, it doesn't make sense to put your faith in something that isn't faithful, does it? That'd be silly. It'd be like me like saying, saying that, hey, this plane that we're about to get on, it's only crashed a couple times. I'm pretty sure it's fine right now. So let's get on it and, and drive. You know, no one's going to get on that plane. At least you, you shouldn't get on that that plane would be silly. But to put your faith in Christ, to make him the object of your faith, means that you think he is actually faithful. You put your faith in the thing that you think will actually come through in the end. In this, it isn't our ability to have a strong faith that matters. It's the object of our faith. Right? To put your faith in the God of scriptures means that he is the object of your faith, that he is the one that guides your living, that, that he is the faithful and strong one that can actually hold you. It's not the other way around. And and we can do this because he is faithful. You know, in, in one sense, the whole story of Scripture is about the faithfulness of God, isn't it? That he is the only one who is faithful and his people aren't. I mean, it's a comedy of errors, the people of God, through the Old Testament to, to now with his disciples and even into the New Testament church. His people are constantly doing ridiculous things, right? As soon as they're taken out of Egypt, Great, thank you for saving us, God. Can we go back to Egypt, though? They have better food than what we have here. You know, it's a comedy of errors, the, the people of God and their inability to follow. But God is the faithful one that never stops pursuing his people. He is the ever faithful one. So if what I'm saying is true, which is a fairly simple truth, imagine there's no new revelation in that in you this morning, hearing me speak about that. Why do we still struggle to believe it? If God is the ever faithful one, if he is the only faithful one, then why do we still struggle to believe it? Why do we put our faith in the things of this world that are fleeting when times are trouble instead of God? Right, this is the, the second question that this text leads us to ask is, what keeps us from faith? What keeps us from faith? And I think the answer we're going to find is our personal experiences. We see this here at the end of verse 18, right? So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. I came to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything to help me. Right? The father came to Jesus because he was the object of his belief, but Jesus is up on that mountain. I don't know what he's doing up there, but he's up on the mountain. And so he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to ask your disciples since they're here, but they couldn't do it. I think an underlining question that, that, that is there for us is, do we, does that happen to us? Do we go to God and we find out he's absent from us? Does it ever feel like God is absent from us? And, uh, and secondly, do, do God's people ever disappoint you? Of course, the answer to both those questions for us is yes. 
And here the father thought, and rightly so, that hey, maybe the disciples, the people that follow Jesus, can help me. Remember, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, they have actually been given the authority to cast out demons. And they have done it before. They're not rookies in this endeavor. They have done this before. But here they can't do it. And because the authority that the disciples have isn't their own, but it belongs to Jesus, it makes sense that the Father could start to doubt that maybe the authority of Jesus isn't what I thought it was. Maybe it's the source of the disciples' authority that's the problem, not just the disciples. Right? It's like if you had a, a team, you have a, you have a coach and you have players. If the players are not doing well, you could say, well, it's because our players aren't good enough. But here he's saying, well, maybe actually the problem is with the coach. Maybe the problem here is actually with Jesus himself. Maybe his authority that he's supposed to pass on to his disciples is actually the problem. And it's likely that this idea, anyways, is what was at the center of this argument between the scribes and disciples. Does Jesus actually have the authority over demons to cast them out? And if the disciples can't, right, which, you know, disciples following a rabbi, they were supposed to do the things the rabbi did. And if the disciples can't do the things the rabbi did, then maybe the problem is with the rabbi. And Jesus responds to this, all this kind of background stuff happening in verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? O faithless generation, O unbelieving people. He is speaking to everyone who is there. He said, have you not seen all that I have done? And do you not yet believe that I am who I said I am? And in this, what we begin to see is doubt is the opposite of belief. It's the enemy of belief. And what causes our doubt here is experiences. Right? It's the father's experience with the disciples' failure that causes him to doubt if his son can be saved. And he doubts if Jesus is who he thought he was. And this happens in our life. Right? Our own experiences in life can lead us to doubt. Right? If, I, if, if I was always late to meetings with you, and every time I said, no, I'm going to be there on time this time, your experience with my tardiness would do what? It would cause you to doubt if I was actually going to be on time that next time. And it can certainly feel this way with God, can it? He says he's going to be there. He claims to be faithful. But when I need him the most, he's up on a mountain, hanging out with his friends. And now his disciples can't even do anything to help. Maybe he isn't what I thought he was. And so what happens is we begin to look elsewhere for help. We still maybe believe we hold on to our Christian card. It's not like we, we burn it, but we just end up adding more cards to the deck. Maybe the Christian card isn't enough to handle all of life, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add these kind of different things to, round, to, to make a more well-rounded life. And often for us, I think the one thing that we hold most dear is faith in ourselves. We think, listen, I'm the only one I can count on. I'm, I'm the only one that's always here. I'm the only one who won't let me down. But we know with with not that much introspection, that's not even true, is it? <laughs> How often do we do the thing we don't want to do? Uh, we let ourselves down all the time. You know, every, every January, which we're in right now, is a new, we get a new set of New Year's resolutions. And why do we do that every year? Because we failed the previous year, right? And even if you're like, well, I don't do New Year's resolutions, it's because you probably tried once and you couldn't do it, and so you've given up already. Because you know you can't do it. We have a hard time with this. We can't even trust ourselves. So what do we do with this if we can't even trust ourselves? You know, even though we try to fight it, the world has actually ingrained in you that you are the greatest authority in your life. And one of the things that this means is we can't even trust our own experiences to be true. You know, I remember once, you know, when texting first started, I, I never thought texting would become a thing. 
I thought it would go the way of the A-track because my experience with texting was miserable. You know, if you remember, you had the phone, you had to hit the three buttons to get to the letter. And then if it went past the letter, you got to go around the horn again. And then it was like, where's the question mark? Where's the, where's the punctuation? I could never figure that out. And so I always thought, this is, this is not going to happen. This is, this is miserable. Well, this may surprise you, but I was very wrong. My experience did not lead to reality. It was a, it was a poor guide to me. And one of the things that's tells you, you can't always trust your experience to guide you. We are limited. So how do we fight against our doubt and our unbelief when our experiences often lead us to false things? Well, what if what I said first about God is true, that he is the faithful one? What if he is the great authority who is more faithful than ourselves are? How do we fight against doubt when it comes? Which is our third question. Well, how do we overcome our lack of faith? How do we overcome our lack of faith. Look back with me here at the end of verse 19. After Jesus kind of puts these really deep questions, these hard questions before them, sounding angry, he says this, bring him to me. Right? Despite the lack of faith, despite, despite this, what does Jesus say? He says, bring the boy to me. He said, I'm going to remind you who I am. You know, just a quick side observation is that Jesus isn't easily scared away by your doubts. In fact, he can't be. Jesus loves whom he loves. And it's not up to you. And this is perhaps some of the best news that there is. Jesus is not easily dissuaded. In fact, he can't be. And in verse 20, it says this, says that they listened, says they brought the boy to him. And, uh, you know, when the spirit saw him, he immediately, it convulsed the boy and he fell into the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. So they, they listen, they bring the boy, the spirit sees Jesus and knows who he is and starts acting out. And in verse 21 through 22, we see this. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening? He says, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. All right, if you can do anything, have compassion. He's saying, listen, if you really can do anything, if you really are the one that I've heard about, then that's great. Do this for me. This is small if you can do anything. And before Jesus can, though, he, he responds like this. He says uh, in verse uh, 23, and Jesus says to him, if you can, right? If you can, what do you mean if you can do all things? And the father is quick to respond immediately. It says, I believe, help my unbelief. And that simple prayer is some of the sweetest words you'll find in all scripture. I'm very thankful that these are there. I can't tell you how often I prayed that prayer. And I'm sure many of you in this room have too. How amazing is it that our God lets his children come to him and say this? I believe you, but I don't quite believe you. Help me to believe you. How amazing that our great God is not threatened by our unbelief. He doesn't get mad. His ego isn't offended. He simply wants you to take your unbelief to him. He can handle it. Tell him you don't believe. Tell him you want to, but you don't at the moment. He wants you to come to him with this. And this response, we have this simple and beautiful answer to this question. How do we overcome our lack of faith? How do we overcome our doubt? And it's this. It's prayer. Right? The faith that you have is not your own. We read this earlier in Ephesians in the service. Faith is a gift from God. And when you lack faith, pray. Ask the one who has all the faith to give to actually give it to you. 
because he's the only one who can give it to you. And in that, we join this prayer. I believe, I want to believe that you are faithful. Help me to believe that you are faithful. The gift of faith is God's to give. And this is what Jesus is even telling them at the end here. See, they ask, why, why can't we cast out demons? And he says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I think often in passages like this, we can get distracted by what does a different kind of demons mean when it doesn't tell us? And we miss the real point, which is prayer. Jesus is saying, listen, you were trying to do this by your own strength. Despite that all I've given you, despite all that you have seen, you are trying to do my work apart from me. And you can't do this. Jesus is saying that, that the only thing that you can do this through is prayer. That's what it means to, to act in, in my strength is to do it with me in prayer. And you can't pray unless you have faith that you are being heard and that he who hears you can act. And so in this beautiful dance, prayer builds faith and faith strengthens prayer. Right? The more you pray, the more you have faith in the God who can hear and act. And the more you have faith, the more you turn to him in every moment knowing that you can't do this life on your own. You need him to act. So when you struggle with doubt, when it is hard to believe, we're called to pray. Even it's a mumble, as Romans 8 tells us, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us even when we can only mumble. And in this, we find faith is hard. And when our doubts overwhelm us, faith feels impossible for us. And the only way it is possible is by asking the one who can give it to you to give it to you. And then we find our last question is this, is what is the promise when we come to him in prayer? What is the promise when we come to him in prayer? And we see this beautiful promise of faith here, beginning in verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible for the one who believes. I think this is often one of those verses that's co-opted to to this name it and claim it crowd and applied in unattended ways to me. Listen, if you just believe hard enough and long enough that you're going to be rich, you're going to be rich. If you just believe you're going to have that great parking spot, you're going to have that great parking spot. But this is taking Jesus entirely out of context of what's happening here. Jesus is speaking of something far greater than money in your bank account and a sweet parking spot at Target. Right? Jesus is saying, listen, I can overcome the impossible. In fact, he has come to make the impossible possible. So what is impossible? Our faith is what's impossible. Now, one pastor points out how this story actually mirrors the story that we're all born into in sin. As we're born into sin, we are dead, right? We are, we are dead in our nature, compelled to walk contrary to God, to give ourselves over to misery, destruction, to throw ourselves over to the things of death like this child did. And because we're born in it, you and I are just as helpless as this child is to save ourselves. There's nothing you can do to make your stone heart flesh. It's impossible to overcome, just like it's impossible to be born again. But Jesus, beautifully in this passage, is saying all things are possible, if you believe me. If you put your faith in Christ, that he will do to your sinful nature what he does to this evil spirit which we see again here in verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. What authority does he have? Come out and never enter him again. You who are mute and deaf, 
You know, one of the things that's unique about this is this line, never come out, never enter him again. He's not just casting out this demon. He's permanently casting it out. And what does Jesus do next? He leans over and he takes him by the hand and it says that this child arose. He's raised new life. This is exactly what Jesus has come to do, to cast out the old, to resurrect the new in Christ. And Jesus' words are not empty here. He means them. He has come to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. He has come to work miracles in our hearts to give us the gift of faith, of belief. And what is this great promise of faith? What's new life in Christ? It's salvation. It's redemption. I think for many of us, the only thing that we have faith in is ourselves. This is because it's the only thing that we can see, and so it's easy to to trust in it. It's tangible, so it seems like the most real thing that there is. I mean, this is the mantra of our day, right? Be true to yourself. You do you. Live according to your truth, whatever that means. And, but what Jesus is calling us towards is so much greater than what you can find in yourself. And the story of Scripture, what's beautiful is that you're not just given a, a blind faith to follow, but he who calls you to faith has proven that he indeed is worthy to be the object of your faith. And Jesus shows us this in his life, death, and resurrection. He means what he says, and he will do anything it takes to give his children faith. As one pastor says, unlike the son in our passage, he was the son who was not delivered from death. Unlike the son in our passage who appeared like a corpse and arose, he truly was a corpse and arose. Unlike the father who is pleading for the end of his son's misery, our heavenly father delivered up his son for the sake of us. Why? So that he can say all things are possible including your salvation. If you will just have faith in me. Listen, we are beyond redemption. Our salvation is impossible, but Jesus says, miraculously, all things are possible. Even the impossible, especially the impossible things are possible in Christ for all those who believe in him. So the question for us is simply, do we believe? And does your life show that you believe or do your actions, does your life show that your faith is in something other than Christ? In our text, it seems that the diagnostic question for us to help answer this, and obviously none of us are going to be able to do this perfectly, but the, the, the diagnostic question for us is this. Is your life marked by prayer? Do you pray? Do you wait on the Lord? The question here is not, do you read your Bible 10 chapters every day, every morning, every lunch, and every evening? The question is, do you pray? Do you turn to him? The implication here is that if you believe that Jesus says who he said he was, that he is the savior of the world, that he is the one who sustains all things and holds all things together by the power of his word, then you would pray. Because if what he says is true, then who else is there that can help you? Who else can act on your behalf? There is no one. Your politicians can't save you. Your bank account can't even liberate you. Not even your pastor, as great as I am, can fix you. I only have power, just like the disciples only had power when they point people to Jesus. He is the power. It's not me. It wasn't the disciples. It was Jesus who had the authority. This is why he tells them to pray. He is the authority over all authorities. So the question is, do we pray? Do you turn to him? Jesus longs for you to bring your doubts to him, to bring your struggles, to bring your fears, to bring your concerns. And in his beautiful words in Matthew, Jesus says, come to me. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. 
I don't put more burdens on you. Come to me. I take your burden away from you. Come to me. And so for those of you that struggle to pray, ironically, it's a prayer that will help you to pray. And it's a simple one. It's like, I struggle. Help me to pray. I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus wants to help you with this. Ask him and he will delightfully answer your prayer and help you. May we be a church that grows in this ability, that, that we learn to trust and believe in Jesus, that we'd be a people who live out of our beliefs, and that we'd be a people that learn to pray and to love, knowing that our faith, our ability to pray and come to him is a gift from our God who graciously makes impossible things possible through his son. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven. We give you thanks for your word, your word that doesn't demand more from us, but it actually reliefs the demands that we put on ourselves. Your word that leads us to life, your word that lightens our load. I pray that you would do that for us this morning, that we would lay our strivings down and we would lean and trust wholly in you and the work that you have done, not in the work that we could never hope to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, and the object of our faith. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand as we respond to God's words, saying the words, I believe. And even when we struggle to believe, there's the inherent help me to believe. Church, and what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.